Hello, everyone. Welcome to the first official episode of the Story Podcast. I am so excited to get this project underway. My name is Harris III, and I am super honored and excited to be joined by my friend and new co-host, Sammy Harvey. Sammy, thanks so much for doing this with me. Oh, my goodness. Thank you so much for having me, Harris. I'm honored that you asked me. Yeah, I kind of had to talk you into this, though. Let's be honest. Yeah, you did. Yeah, you you and your magician ways somehow got me into this I tricked thing. her into doing yeah, this. Yeah, he somehow tricked me. No, but really, um, whenever you were describing to me like your vision for this podcast, um, I was I was really touched and I was really honored that you wanted to have like another like voice to represent like another perspective of yours. That's something that has been really difficult for me as a podcast listener, like mostly listening to white dudes. Um, like, <laughs> there's a lot of, their men, dominating there's a lot this, of yeah. men like in the industry. And I think that's great. But um, I feel really honored to like bring representation um, for the women in the industry. So Yeah, that's really important to me, too. And I can't do all these interviews by myself. And so my hope is that you and to those listening that Sammy, you know, is able to interview a lot of these really amazing creatives so that as story continues to seek to inspire you guys, um, she's there asking many times questions that I wouldn't think to ask and then offering perspective and commentary that my life perspective perspective as a male wouldn't allow me to provide. So uh, we're all about the diversity here at Story. That's why I'm super excited that you were willing to join me. Yay! <laughs> yeah. There's probably a lot of people listening who are wondering what in the world we're talking about when we say Story. Yeah, uh, yeah. This I think this would be the perfect time for you to tell us the audience a little bit more about whose story is, why story, how story got started, and what's next. Yeah, yeah. Well, we're super excited to sit down today with Jeremy Coward. He's one of our speakers at Story 2016. And so first and foremost, Story is a conference that has talks from folks like Jeremy. It's a two-day conference where people gather from around the world, everyone from filmmakers to photographers, writers, creative directors, art directors, communications, strategists, and like social media people, anyone who considers themselves a creator or an artist in some way, but believes in the power of narrative and story to communicate meaningful ideas, and they want to do meaningful work. Um, and so we're going to talk to Jeremy about that today. For me personally, I'm I'm new to story, as you know. Uh, back in 2009, story was started by my friend Ben Arment, and he called uh, me back in November after story 2015 and said, hey, I'm ready to move on to something else. Um, you know, I've been doing this for quite a few years now. Will you, can I pass the torch to you? Will, you? will you lead this drive into whatever the next season is for Story? And one of the first things that I came to the realization of, I think, after leading this drive is that I, I wanted more. I wanted to be more than just a two-day conference because you go to mm-hmm. Story, mm-hmm. you walk away feeling crazy inspired, and you you feel like you're at home. You're like, you know, because artists aren't understood, right? I think yeah. many times we feel yeah. like we don't have a sense of place. And then you're in the same room with all these other people who, that you can relate to who understand and have the same fears and insecurities totally. and struggles. And so, but then you, you're like, okay, I guess I'll see you in another 12 <laughs> months, right? And so our hope is that we're creating a lot of really amazing content for the tribe now so that they can continue to stay inspired year-round, hence this podcast. And so, uh, yeah, yeah, I'm so excited to sit down with Jeremy. And you went down to Franklin. We got a chance to sit in his studio and you joined me for that interview. Is there anything that you want to tease people about? What were you excited about them hearing? Yeah, Jeremy is just such an embodiment like of like the story conference. Like he is an artist, he's a dreamer, he's an entrepreneur. Now he's like maybe a future like hotel owner. Like mm-hmm. what? It, he's I love how big he dreams and I'm really excited for everyone listening to 
just hear just hear him like yeah. he, he's a great dreamer me too i think he we couldn't have chosen a, a more perfect guest and mm-hmm. i can't wait to see what he does in story 2016 but in the meantime while we wait let's enjoy this interview with photographer humanitarian mm-hmm. i don't even know how to the describe him he's so many things. <laughs> we'll just call him jeremy coward enjoy I am so excited. I am here with Sammy. Hey. And uh, this is the first official episode of our uh, story podcast. We're so excited to be sitting down with Jeremy Coward. Jeremy, thanks for joining us. It's good to be here. Honored to be the first. Yes. Uh, we wanted you to be the first for multiple reasons. One, uh, everyone's super pumped to hear you at Story 2016. <laughs> uh, I, I think I told you this on the phone earlier, but uh, I don't know if the people listening to this podcast are aware. Uh, you know, when I, when Ben asked me to step into the leadership role and I took over back in January of Story, one of the first things we did is send out a survey, like an email survey to previous attendees of the Story Conference. And you were the highest rated Story presenter of all time. Wow, um, that's uh, crazy. So people like loved your talk from last year and that's, that's awesome. now going viral around the world. And so Story has never had a repeat speaker presenter. There you go. At, so you're like the first guy <laughs> that we've ever had back more than once. That's so cool. Um, but you've got something new prepared for this year and that no one's ever seen before. We'll, we'll talk a little bit about that later. Uh, but the other reason we wanted to have you on now is because of uh, the Purpose Hotel. Mm-hmm. It's huge, right? <laughs> huge, huge project you're trying yeah. to tackle. Huge as in terrifying, yes. Yeah, yes. and it's, it's most likely that I think most of the people listening to this podcast are probably aware of it. They're they probably like, oh yeah, that's that thing Jeremy Cowher's doing. He's like crowdfunding hotel. If you could, if you could give them clarity right now, if they haven't actually taken the time to go to the Kickstarter I paid, and watch the video, mm-hmm. what would you tell them? What's the short synopsis of what this thing's all about? Yeah, trying to build a hotel where everything in the building is connected to a cause or nonprofit. So by choosing this hotel on the future, you would be essentially changing the world in your sleep. Um, you would be simultaneously helping a, probably a hundred different causes or nonprofits, um, and hopefully even more than a hundred people around the world with a single stay. So. It's exciting. Uh, every room would sponsor a child, and then the linens, the soaps, shampoos, the artwork, like everything in the building will be doing something behind the scenes. So, Yeah, that's awesome. I have so many questions I want to ask you about <laughs> the creative process of how you started that. But I want to make sure we have the right perspective on that. So let's try to rewind and go back maybe more to the beginning. Uh, Sammy and I were laughing because we were sitting here before we started recording the interview. Uh, we were laughing because you said you were a studio musician, like a professional studio musician. <laughs> so amazing. I know. I, I didn't even know that about you. We've been friends for years. Give yeah. us the, what, what in the world? Yeah, I, my dad was in the music industry, and so I guess he knew the lady that led or that directed this group of studio musicians that were children. You know, we were all, gosh, between the ages of five and 12, probably. But I started around the age of five or six, and we would go into studios and have to read sheet music and record on big artist albums. So I remember being in the studio with Willie Nelson and John Denver and Alabama and Michael W. Smith and Sandy Patty and Amy Grant. And, uh, and then we did years of publishing and, you know, recordings as well, like United Methodist Publishing House. So I've got about a decade of experience of walking into studios and singing. It's so weird. So, but then I hit puberty and my career tanked. It was all over. (laughs) What, so what was the transition going from professional kid musician to (laughs) what was next? 
Well, I still wanted to do music, uh, and I had a band with my brothers for a while, um, and uh, we we were talented. But my older two brothers uh, just weren't as like I was the focus one. I was the one that like we got to go do this, you know. But they and they were the more talented ones, uh, but they just didn't have the same. My oldest brother was kind of the the party guy. We don't need to practice. We don't need to, you know. And then Benji was the super, super humble one, you know, like, you know, didn't want to be famous, and which is a good thing. But, and then it was never about fame for me. I just like wanted to go. I was very driven. And so I, th- I would say as soon as I could tell that they weren't, this wasn't going to be a thing, you know, I kind of veered off into art and design and all things visual. Was mm-hmm. it photography at first? No, 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 no. It was uh, painting and drawing uh, in high school. Took my, first discovered I could draw in seventh grade when I had to draw a New York City skyline and I, and I demolished my classroom. That was kind of fun. <laughs> Came home and showed my parents and that was, you know, next thing I knew I had an art desk and art supplies and my parents were amazing in that way. They just supported mm-hmm. as soon as they saw, you know, a, a gift. They just did everything, everything they could to support it. So painting and drawing through high, through high school, then I was uh, afraid to terrified of computers but my mom introduced me to photoshop studied you know graphic design in college ended up loving it um fell in love with that took one photography class in college hated it made a d nearly failed and then um worked for a couple ad agencies out of college got fired from that was told like don't even be creative like you need to go be a youth pastor or something uh true story um and so worked for a couple more ad agencies and finally quit and started my own company at the age of 24 I think it was started a design company did that for five years before I discovered really discovered photography and it wasn't until I was 28 that I jumped out of my design company to start shooting that's so crazy I feel like that's something that a lot of people look over like whenever they look at people like you who have become successful photographers it's so amazing that it took you so long to get there and something I'm curious about how did you overcome that like fear of trying photography again because you said you almost like failed your photography class what was it like picking up the camera like the second time around well it was uh definitely starting to date myself but it was really when digital photography came about that I was I was already so experienced with computers and photoshop that Digital allowed me to skip film, although I did shoot film for a while, but digital was so less intimidating in terms of, oh, I can put this card in my computer and drag these images into Photoshop that I've already used for eight years by that point. So it just Mm -hmm. made it so fun because I could shoot textures and incorporate into my design work. So it was a very natural transition by that point to just shoot digitally and incorporate it into Photoshop. How were you learning at that stage? Because I mean, that was a season where the inter- internet started changing, right? Mm-hmm. Um, you know, all the digital technology started changing the way that photos were being taken and shared. Mm-hmm. Um, did you have some mentors? Did you go to classes? What? No mentors, no classes, never assisted either. Uh, just jumped in. I did. I remember to learn at least the three kind of basics, f-stop, shutter. I still couldn't understand what an f-stop was or what a shutter speed was. And so I actually went to the bookstore in Green Hills and bought a book called Digital Photography for Dummies. I was like, what, <laughs> what is the most basic 
dumb under you know explanation of camera settings for stupid people like me and i went and read that book and not the whole book just the part on camera settings i was like oh my gosh i get it (laughs) and so that was like the extent of my actual photo education because in college i certainly didn't listen i didn't understand any of that stuff the professors made it way too complicated so yeah i read a i read a dummies book and then it was on my own then it was like i'm shooting you know i got a a Hollywood agent a few months after choosing to do photography and next thing I know I'm in Hollywood on movie sets shooting you know six-figure photo shoots like within my first year of of deciding to try it so um, I was obviously very lucky but yeah I literally had to learn by by just diving in yeah it's interesting that you say that you say obviously I was very lucky Um, you know but I doubt that those Hollywood agents had like a stack of cards and this blindfolded themselves (laughs) and just going, I picked this one. Oh, Jeremy, let's hire him. Right. So I, I know you're super humble dude. Uh, so it's hard, probably even hard question for you to answer (laughs) that way. But what is it that you think that caused them to start hiring you for a shoot that big with such a short career so far? Yeah. The story was, I was up for a job, uh, to shoot Rebecca St. James, Christian artist. And, um, this Hollywood agent had put up her photographers for the job as well. So the label, Rebecca chose me for the job. Um, So I beat all these Hollywood agents, or Hollywood photographers, and she calls me and she said, hey, you just beat me for this job. You just beat all my photographers. And she said, I love your work. And I think she liked it because I I approached photography from a very um, design-focused standpoint, like all my, in hindsight especially all my photos were very strangely composed like lots of negative space I was way into like shooting half somebody's face and lots of negative space over here and and uh, it was very I was very brave in those early days the way I composed images and so I think that caught her eye and um, so we signed a deal and then I would she would take me out of these big Hollywood meetings and they all would hire me right on the spot. And, you know, the biggest, you know, NBC, ABC, E! News, uh, you name it. Like, they were all just, and I was, um, that was, again, the, the first year of even deciding to do photography full-time. So, uh, yeah, I would just say my, my strange approach, which, again, I, sh- I should go back to those strange approaches. <laughs> um, but, yeah, uh, I guess that was it. It's a different approach. What would you say to other young photographers that are out there? They've already read the Photography for Dummies book. <laughs> if anything, they read like the expert book and they're like, I understand everything about, you know, the technical process of taking a great photo. How come I'm not being hired to do six-figure mm-hmm. photo shoots? What would you say to them? It's so much more complicated now um, because truly there are thousands and thousands and thousands of good photographers. So it's no longer about good photography. It's just about who's doing something that's interesting who's truly creating a new unique voice in the chaos of it all so you know uh, a good photographer is a dime a dozen now Um, so who is creating a unique approach to things and that's still always been the case like for any uh, art form I'm sure for your for 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 magic and for music and for you know painting um, but it's more the case than ever because Instagram is full of great photographers, you know. So it's who, who's doing something to bring, um, like for example, um, I'm, I'm thinking of my buddy in New York who goes around on the streets, 
and he finds pieces of trash and just things that people dump out of their houses. And he takes all those things and he builds a set and then he lights it and he shoots a close up to where it looks like a normal living room where the scene is happening, but then he also photographs a wide angle to where you see the streets of New York around mm. that set to show that he's you know built a set on the streets of New York. Like that's the kind of thing that gets attention. It's like, oh, okay, this isn't just a guy walking around with a camera that's able to take good pictures. He's doing something unique. And so I could tell those kinds of stories all day of photographers who yeah. are doing something unique. And again, I'm, the same, I'm sure the same goes for your industry. People yeah. who come along and actually think of a new approach. Yeah, yeah, it's not necessarily what you're doing, it's how you're doing it, right? And how you approach it in a unique way. And I think that the thing that all those, all those examples share in common is it's almost someone giving themselves permission to pursue, I guess, what many would label as like a passion project, I guess. Yes. Mm -hmm. and it's yeah. interesting, you know, sitting here listening to you talk, it's really, it's, it's what you're known for, mm -hmm. you know? Like, people go, Jeremy Cowart, oh yeah, like, they think of things like Help Portrait, Purpose mm -hmm. Hotel, some of your humanitarian work in other countries which is weird because no one, I don't think anybody hired you to do those things, right? Mm. Yeah, we, we in Fifth Harbor, we just call it personal work. There's your commercial assignments and then your personal work. And I would, I would argue that nearly every great photographer, famous artist of any kind is really born and, and becomes famous because of their personal work. What does your daily schedule or your daily rhythms look like so that you do you prioritize like personal work in the morning or the evening? Um, I wish. Yeah. How, how do you make time <laughs> for that? It, yeah. It's nothing like that. I mean, for me, it's seven to nine AM is dad, dad mode, mm -hmm. you know, taking the kids to school and get helping them get ready and all that stuff. Then I get to work and I'm pretty much a professional emailer. Like one day I'm going to be on my deathbed and be like, well, sent a lot of emails well well done good and faithful email i don't think that's how most people remember you i really yeah, don't i sure feel that way gosh I, i'm always a dream about what, what would it look like if i actually did work like creative work all the time instead of sending emails um so no i i find that i go through these spells where i do the things i have to do and it just gets to a point where like okay i can't spend another day in meetings or phone calls or doing emails i have to go create something i have to go do something and so there's never a daily rhythm there's never a wish there was um and it's usually followed by ideas like uh for example right now at the hotel i have this idea of how to visually explain our philosophy um and why we're doing what we're doing but i can only do that through drawing and painting like uh, next to us are all these art supplies and i just drew and painted last week to explain this philosophy mm. so it's usually not drawing just to draw it's usually there, there's an idea that's forcing me to create i think that's a great question sammy asked I'll, it, it'd be fun to try to drill into that even deeper because essentially what i think i hear a lot of other people that we would label as creatives say is Yes, of course I have all these passions. Yes, I have these personal projects that I want to pursue, but that'll happen after I get my career off the ground or after mm -hmm. there's always this excuse of like, I'll do that when, and it's almost like I get the feeling that you don't, you don't really wait around to do these things. <laughs> um, so you just do it. Do, uh, <laughs> yes and no. Uh, you have to, first of all, when I, I remember being 28 and I met with a mentor and I so clearly remember him saying, I have ideas for days and I just remember thinking like man that is so not me I'll never be I'll never be you I'll never have ideas for days 
and here I am at 39, 11 years later, and I, I can't even function sometimes. I have so many ideas, and I'm trying to say that as truthfully and humbly as possible, but I have so many ideas in it, and I only am saying that to encourage any listeners that if you're not an idea person, it can develop, it can get there, because I wasn't. I wasn't at 28. Um, and so basically I tell people, I do a couple things. First I tell my wife, uh, bounce ideas off her, and, and she's such a good uh, person to bounce it off because she's not a fan of most ideas. She's like, oh, that's great. Uh, I'm going to run to Target. Did you take <laughs> out the trash? I can't remember. Uh, be sure to take out the, you know, it's like in one ear, out the other with my ideas, which is a good thing. She keeps me humble. But then when I tell her ideas that certain ideas like there have been two ideas I've told her that she's cried on the spot like wept crying and it's in those moments I'm like yes you know, <laughs> something I got it uh, so if my wife approves of an idea I'll then tell my business manager uh, now business partner and share it with a few close friends then if I, if I get the sign-offs from everybody then I'll usually wait a couple months probably because uh, ideas always feel genius at first um, but time will really tell if they're they're genius or not so and uh and i do pursue a lot of my I, I have to it's like babies like they have to be born you know and then there are other ideas like i probably have 20 ideas that i could also be pursuing right now but i just you just can't like you can't do them all so how do you prioritize which ideas to pursue um it's usually the ones i find that uh how, that help the most, you know, that are that are going to make the world a better place, you know, because I've realized that photography, being a famous photographer or a guy that shoots celebrities is not fulfilling. You know, it's just a way to be cool and to make money. And a lot of the other ideas I have are, yeah, that could be a great business that could make a lot of money. It could be really successful. But you've already done that with photography and that didn't fulfill you. So what does fulfill you? Well, it's the Voices of Haiti, the Voices of Reconciliation Project in Rwanda. It's the Child Soldier Project I did in Uganda. It's Help Portrait. And so I find that uh, if I can pursue the ideas that are meaningful, then those are the ones worth worth pursuing. Mm. You use the analogy there for a second about babies. They're mm -hmm. like babies that you have to give birth to them. But yet, so you have your own babies, right? You've mm -hmm. got two kids and then an additional four kids, two, four kids yeah. now because you adopted the two from Haiti. Mm -hmm. So you have four babies of your own to take care of. And then you have these ideas that you lovingly referred to as babies that you have to give birth to. How do you find the balance? Because, I mean, you can't take care of 50 babies, right? So, mm -hmm. I mean, how do you find the balance of, you said seven to nine is dad mode. And then, I mean, are you committed to, is it five o'clock? No matter what creative juices are flowing, no matter how inspired I am, is it's I leave the studio, I go home to my family. Pretty much, yeah. I mean, it's, I wouldn't say it's ever five o'clock on the dot. It's usually between five and 6.30, usually closer to 5.30. That I'll head home and you just gotta call it a day. I mean, it, you know, and then the, the hard part is not physically being home. It's easy for me to get home and be there. The, the real challenge is mentally being home because I can get home and still be mentally emailing still be thinking about work and my kids will literally come up to me and like knock on my shoulder so yeah that that's the challenge like got and, and it's so hard it's so hard to put the phone away put the laptop away because the yeah. minute the minute i grab my phone it's like reading emails and mm. social media and all yeah. of it i mean 
Yeah. It, it's by far, like, I feel like there were, you know, we grew up hearing about kids saying, oh, my parents were an alcoholic, my dad was abusive, my, they just were never there. I feel like there's going to be a whole generation of mm-hmm. kids mm-hmm. now saying, oh, my parents were there, but I was neglected because they were always staring at their phone. They were always on the computer. Like, that's my fear. Yeah. Is that my kids will be see me as a dad who is always working, even though he was there, they could see me and they're going to have this image of me, you know, doing this. Um, so that's what I fear. But uh, but at the same time, it's like, especially right now in the season I'm in, like I am working my tail off to ensure that they have a future. Like I'm trying to provide for them, provide jobs for them for the rest of their life. So. Um, Hopefully one day they'll see that all this is for a reason. Yeah, it's hard, man. I relate so much to your story because I feel like I'm I'm like half artist, performer, half entrepreneur, and mm-hmm. an entrepreneur spirit that you have to not let those ideas just sit on a shelf that mm-hmm. you feel like um, on StrengthsFinder, Activator is one of my top five. So it's like I can't just ignore potential. It's like that's a good idea. Somebody's mm-hmm. got to take that and run mm-hmm. with it. But I've felt pretty impacted lately because, you know, my son is almost three and there'll be times where I'll be sitting in a chair and I'm home. It's like I'm, I left the office. I'm done for the day, but I'm at home. And it's like something comes on. My phone pings and Slack or something. Mm-hmm. I pulled out a jacket. And sometimes Jude will climb up in my lap and he'll be like, Daddy, 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 Daddy. And I'm like, hold on, buddy. And he will like physically, like the last few weeks, he will take his hands, put them on my face mm-hmm. and like move my face up so that he can make eye contact with mm-hmm. me. He's like, Daddy, Daddy. And I'm like, oh, I can't, I can't continue doing this. Like these are the things that matter. And what's ironic about it is as important as that task seems in the moment, like everything that's inspiring me right now as a creative is coming out of being a dad and mm-hmm. watching my kids grow up. Like mm-hmm. their imaginations run wild and it's feeding and igniting my imagination. So I think it's foolish of us to, to go, Oh, this is really important. I got to do this one last thing. Mm-hmm. Um, because they're actually feeding the thing that you're trying to, yeah. Yeah. Makes yeah I've found that the best, the best thing to do is to literally, when you get home is to lock your phone and your computer and your car, like just hmm. shut them in, off in your car. That way you can't, <laughs> like I have to physically do that for yeah. myself is just to put it all away. Yeah. I've tried to, you know, uh, someone I respect once told me like when he comes home from work, if he's on the phone in his car on his drive home, even if he pulls into the driveway, it's his goal to like get home as soon as possible. Mm-hmm. But if he's still on the phone, he'll he'll take that last three minutes, ten minutes, however long it takes to finish that call, mm-hmm. so that when he walks through the door, he's fully engaged, mm-hmm. rather than walking mm-hmm. through the door, going, "Hold on, let me finish this call, yeah, and then exactly. I'll be with you." That's huge. That's yeah, so good. Well, talk to us about this current season because I'm sure you're you're feeling it. You know, um, can you? I'm sure you've told it a thousand times now, but for those who haven't heard it, what can you tell us the story of where this idea came from? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, I had a meeting four years ago uh, in Los Angeles with Visco, actually. We were doing a photo shoot um, for Vis- for Visco. We met at the Standard in L.A., the hotel. And I just remember walking through the hallways, and when we walked into our, our bedroom, we were meeting in one of the hotel rooms. There was a, a room number that was designed like one of those old-school name tags. Hmm. And it said, hello, my name is room 121, like the red and white name tags, you know. And I just remember thinking, like, oh, that's a really clever approach. Like, they rethought what a room number should be designed, you know, how it should be designed. And so that, for some super weird reason, made me, like, like how else could you design a room number? What if every room had a story that you felt attached to? What could that story be? And it instantly I thought of, like, man, how powerful would it be to see a child's face 
on the wall with their name and a paragraph of their story and then the room number. And then as you walk down the hall, you just see this sea of faces. Every room is telling a story. And uh, quickly fell in love with that idea. And then instantly, again, I was sitting on the couch or on the bed looking around the room, and I just reimagined what the TVs could do. Instead of pornography viewing or listing, there could be a social documentary listing. And then the, when you access the Internet, when you pay for that, that could uh, fight human trafficking. And the desk you're working on could be built by a homeless person that's giving them a job. And the blankets and the soaps. And I just realized it was like this aha moment of I've been working with nonprofits for 10 to 15 years and I know so many of them and they all do these amazing things why not bring them all together under one roof to where they're all literally working together and this hotel is helping all of them and um, and I even remember telling the guys at Visco I just had this crazy idea, like this, I just reinvented a hotel, I think. <laughs> and uh, I, I just remember they loved it, they were big fans of the idea. And uh, then I went home and I couldn't stop thinking about it, told my wife. And Did she what, cry? That was one of the ideas that, yeah. So I came home awesome. and I was fully <laughs> expecting her to like, seriously, you want to build a hotel, really? You know? <laughs> but it, it, yeah, I started telling her and she just like starts tearing up. And by, by the time I'm at the end of the, the idea, she's like bawling. You know, I was like, oh, wow, okay. There's <laughs> something there. And then That was I, how many years ago? Four years. Okay. I was 35. But then, uh, you know, you're 35 years old. You've got an idea to build a global hotel chain, really? Like, who, who are you to think that? And so I kind of just stepped away and just fear. Like, whoa, that's, that's big. And I don't have the capacity to drop everything and pursue an idea that could take years to come to fruition. So I just... For three years, then no way, I can't do it. So then it was this past fall, through a random series of events, fall of 2015, that I started believing again and started sharing it again, and just it was like green lights everywhere I looked. It was like mm. every everything's a go. So all right, I'm gonna do this. Yeah, I mean, I feel like every artist and creator in the, uh, you know, in all professional creative industries by now, I've seen the I'm Possible video that you created was sort of your life story. What was interesting to me is I saw it a few times. Uh, we were both speaking at some of the same conferences, and I saw the first one of the, some of the first versions of the talk, and it didn't have anything about the Purpose Hotel mm-hmm. in it. Uh, and then we were doing this event, uh, West Coast or Cincinnati, I don't remember which one it was, but all of a sudden you're talking about the Purpose Hotel. W- what was that? Is it just wasn't you didn't have the art ready yet to put in the presentation? Oh what? man, <laughs> that's a whole different story that I actually have not shared yet. Um, yeah, it was just this, uh, you know, uh, just realize I'm sharing my life story, but really I'm leaving out a massive part of the story. Like, I'm, I'm, you know, I'm telling how I overcame the words I can't, but really there's still this huge thing that I have not overcome. Huh. So why not share it? And I can't tell you the level of embarrassment and fear I felt in adding the hotel to the talk. Like, it was just over, I don't know, just... Just, it's like, uh, it felt as big as like, I don't know, I'm gonna, I'm gonna change the world. I'm gonna build a rocket ship. I'm gonna, you know, <laughs> climb Mount Everest. It just felt so um, almost arrogant, you know. Um, but I, I just kept feeling like I have, I have to put it in there. Like it's the only way it's gonna get done is to start talking about it. And so I did, I just added, added it in there uh, last year sometime and, um, the response was insane. I mean, just overwhelming. Not a single 
doubter, not a single negative comment. Like everybody wants this thing to happen. And uh, so just left it in there and kept telling the story. Now, every it seems like every email I get, every investor, every, you know, it's all, we saw your talk. You know, it always starts with, we saw you mm-hmm. talk about this live at whatever conference. We've been waiting for you. Yeah. to make it real mm-hmm. and now that now you're doing it and you're in the thick of it right mm-hmm. the kickstarter campaign yeah um you know it's drawing to a close you know you've got time for people to jump on there what mm-hmm. are you thinking and feeling right now <laughs> if you're oh, willing man. to be transparent with this because oh. i think a lot of people can relate to this you know they're going i would never have the audacity to do a two million dollar kickstarter campaign mm-hmm. But I would love to do a $20,000 Kickstarter campaign to finish my short film or to illustrate this children's mm-hmm. book that I've been dreaming about. And there's a lot of creators out there that are inspired by your courage, you know? <laughs> yeah, and I'm, yeah. I'm sure right now they're thinking, like, what is he feeling? Is like he looking at the number every five minutes, hitting the refresh button, like going, is this going to fail? Is it going to succeed? What are you, what are you yeah. feeling at the moment? I probably look at it maybe twice a day because when you're, it's fun to watch when the number is exploding. Like when the first day, of course, of course, we hit, you know, we did six figures in first 12 hours and that was a blast. We were all like refreshing, refreshing. Yeah. Then as it starts to slow down, um, you just like, oh, I don't want to, I don't want to look at that, you know. Uh, but right now I would say it's extreme. I don't even know. It's it's hard to put into words because by telling the world I'm building a hotel, I'm also telling the world that I'm no longer a photographer. So my work that actually pays my bills has come to a screeching halt. Like I have no work in the month of August. And so you talk about literally walking in faith. You know, we have all these people that we're paying and hiring to help with the hotel, yet nothing coming in. So and not even close not even a quarter of the way to our goal on kickstarter and so uh i mean hindsight is 2020 of course we if we were to do it again we would have made a much smaller goal uh you know kickstarter's hard because i i see my friend launch a camera bag and they raise 1.5 million dollars in 24 hours so it's like oh if people are willing to to give millions of dollars to camera bags surely they're willing Mm -hmm. to give to a hotel that's going to change the world but on the flip side, um, what we what we've realized uh, is that our our ask is so much harder because we're we're not giving you a cool gadget. We're not putting a camera bag in your hands. We're saying, will you support an idea that won't exist for years, that won't even be in your town, that you know is a major hill to climb. You know you're not going to have anything in six months. Granted, we do have all kinds of fun rewards and perks. They will get things. Um, but still, it's not a clear-cut Kickstarter. Sure. Yeah. Um, and so uh, at the same time, though, $400,000, which is what we've raised to date, is still insane. I mean, that's so a, much money, man. It's a lot of money. And so we're, we're still proud of that. Um, but, yeah, and, and there's still a lot of things brewing. I'm, at, I, I'm not saying it can't be done because I do think it can be done. Um, but I'm literally relying on miracles. I mean, I'm literally relying on the community, like, I can't tweet any more about this. I mean, I will, but yeah. my following knows that this exists, you know, so I've pushed as hard as I can. Now it's up to the world to respond. You yeah. Know? So I've never, my whole career walked in faith quite like I am right now. Mm. You said something that stood out to me right there. You said, I'm, I'm no longer a photographer. Mm. What, what do you mean by that? Cause I remember we were, even while we were setting up gear to record this interview with you for the podcast, you know, you were, you were talking about the things that excite you right now. 
Um, <laughs> and I don't, can I repeat what you sure, told me? Is that okay? Sure, sure. You said I, I couldn't be more bored right now from photography. Mm-hmm. Um, help me understand that. It's from a commercial sense. I think for the rest of my life, I'll be a photographer. I'll definitely be an artist. Um, in fact, the ideas for personal projects are more more than I've ever had. Um, but to me, there's there's uh, <laughs> no pun intended. There's purpose in my future projects, um, like shooting for clients, even famous big deal clients. It's it's I don't know. I'm thankful for the opportunities. I'm thankful a client would choose me because they have hundreds of choices. So I'm always grateful for work. But still, at the end of the day, what happens is the client goes through your photo shoot and it's almost like they purposely pick the worst photo from the job and then it, they give it to retouch or designer and the, the final this final photo comes out that's just kind of a polished turd. <laughs> and it's got my name on it, photography by Jeremy Cower and I'm like so embarrassed and... And so it's not this ultra creative, it can be ultra creative, but usually it's a very, it's still a very corporate creative process. And I'm not, it's not like I'm just rolling around and enjoy that I get to shoot, you know, certain artist album covers. Again, it's cool and it's certainly gotten gotten me to where I am, but it's not like, you know, one day when I'm old, I'm be telling my kids about all the album covers I shot. You know, it's not like the most fulfilling thing in the world. and so I, I really envision me and a camera in the future doing more work overseas, more passion projects, not shooting the next, not making pretty people look prettier. <laughs> Photography, technically, I'm, I, when I say I'm bored, like you just get to a point where I, even, even when I look at the Annie Leibovitz and the top photographers in the world, I just understand what they're doing and I understand there, there's also games you have to play, you have to, you have to move to LA or New York, you have to meet with the art directors, you have to party, you have to socialize. Like I, I know the path to get there and it doesn't intrigue me uh, anymore. It's like, um, yeah, I just, and I've got four kids and I have no interest in playing all the games you have to play. So, but building a hotel that changes the world, that challenges <laughs> me. That's a much, much uh, bigger hill to climb that I find a uh, much more fulfilling hill to climb. So yeah. Yeah. Do you think creatives need to do more of that? Take on a challenge that scares them? Oh yeah, for sure. There's no doubt, it's a blast. Yeah, I mean, that's where you learn, that's how you grow. Yeah. So what can you tell us about the creative process of the nuts and bolts of telling the story of the Purpose Hotel? You know, because, so you, we have, so people all around the world right now are watching this, and then you have a whole bunch of people for lack of a better term, let's call them industry people because it seems clearly who they are. They're all watching this from that through that lens, mm-hmm. going, "Oh, how what is he doing? What's their creative process like? Well, how do they shoot the video? Like, um, any insight you're willing to share with us of what your creative process was like to launch this thing?" Yes, uh, I'll try to explain it. Um, <laughs> I would say the first thing one of the, one of my biggest strengths is identifying all my weaknesses. You know, like I have so such a long list of things that I'm not good at and incapable of. And um, I'm, I'm good at identifying people to match my weaknesses, people with strings who can do really, really well what I don't do at all. <laughs> uh, and that starts with my business, now my business partner. He's been my business manager for 10 years, but um, Michael is a, a freak behind the scenes. I mean, he's he's just a genius at uh, legal, at uh, 
identifying attorneys and all the you know trademarks and business plan business models like what does it cost to build a hotel how much is every floor going to cost how much is every room going to cost how much profit is it actually going to make how much can we actually give to these nonprofits? like those are things that my mind is incapable of figuring out like it would just wouldn't happen um so you know i would say for any creative like you have to find somebody to help you with all the left brain stuff Uh, In fact, I've figured out the best way to explain Michael is I'm the heart and he's the brain. Like, I'm the heart behind the hotel. I get it. I see it. I understand it. But Michael knows how to make it work. Um, And so then after Michael, you know, there's a a PR team helping us. Uh, We have a a team that specializes in Kickstarter. Um, So there's a team that's they think about strategy, Facebook advertising, what's our demographic, and they're following daily all the stats, and those are things that I'm not good at. I don't know how to do it. I mean, I understand it all, but I don't have time or the capacity to, sure. to, to be doing that. And then um, I'm not good with words. I, I, I can't, I'm not a good writer. I, I'm a good, I'm good with thoughts. I know where I want my words to go, but my friend Kara Davis has become my she she's like my translator i speak and she translates it and she's like my yeah um so i need care involved alexis is my assistant and alexis does gosh a gazillion things that i can't do so um i I would and that applies to help portrait that applies to okay do this the app i created to see university like everything i do it's all about the team you know Mm -hmm. it's all it's all perceived as a one-man show but man i'm i'd be I'd be nowhere without all these people. And again, it just starts with, okay, what am I not good at? It's easy to identify the thing, my strengths, but the weaknesses far outweigh the strengths. So, yeah. Um, One of the things that surprised me when this story was unfolding is you talking about the billboard thing. You know, all of a sudden people are seeing billboards. Mm-hmm. And then you took a little bit of flack from that, right? On social media, oh, people yeah. were like, why are you trying to raise money to build a hotel and you're spending money on to advertise mm-hmm. your Kickstarter campaign? And then mm-hmm. not even knowing that that space was being donated or yeah. something like that. So yeah, how have you, uh, has there been criticism? Yeah, how do you manage the haters? I'm yeah. really curious. Yeah. Well, I'll be honest. I was expecting quite a bit of hate with the hotel. I don't know why I just, I was just ready for it. I was like, here we go. Embrace. Yeah, what just, kind of hate did you anticipate? Um, I don't know. I just, you know, Jason Russell's a good friend from invisible children. And, uh, to see to see what all went down with that was was pretty eye-opening on on many levels um and anytime there's an idea that's bold or you're trying to quote unquote change the world people are just going to come out and be against you and i would say that i've been shocked by the lack of negativity i mean shocked like there's been almost nothing um uh and so we see a few people, yeah, like somebody said, how could you be buying billboards when you're doing a Kickstarter campaign? But yeah, there was a company, uh, we'll just say that the generosity of others uh, allowed those billboards to be free. Of course, yeah. We have paid for some uh, Facebook advertising, but that's almost usually a no-brainer. Facebook advertising is really effective. Like, who would argue if you spend $100, that's going to turn into $1,000? Like, mm. Totally. It just makes sense. Um and we haven't even spent much on Facebook advertising, but yeah, I would say the hate and the negativity has been very, very little. Have you yeah. battled any of the, like, is this a nonprofit hotel? Is this a for-profit mm-hmm. hotel? Is that yeah. stuff poured out online? And- In fact, uh, yesterday I had that discussion. So it is a for-profit hotel. 
And it's uh, basically, again, this goes back to my partner and him understanding all that stuff because I don't. And from the get-go, he was like, this has to be a for-profit because if it were a non-profit, it literally wouldn't survive and make enough money to build more hotels. Like this idea won't exist as a non-profit. It just won't work. Um, and, uh, and then in addition, we do have, the way it's all set up, there is a non-profit extension in the same way Again, this is all above my head, but Tom Shoes has like a, it's a for-profit company, but it has a non-profit extension, and we kind of work the same way. Um, our cause is to help as many causes and nonprofits as possible. And so somebody said, why would you put a nonprofit on Kickstarter? And I said, Kickstarter actually doesn't allow nonprofits. We can't even like, no. we've had to be so specific with our wording. And they said, how could you ask people to give money to a for-profit company. I said, that's literally every uh, project on Kickstarter. They're all for-profit <laughs> companies asking for money. How could you not see that we're just like any other Kickstarter, yeah. you know? Yeah. Um, but really, you know, $2 million, which is what we're asking for, is nothing when we're trying to build a $100 million hotel. Actually, yeah. I think it'll end up being far over $100 million. Oh, wow. So yeah, in two, my mind, I was thinking ten, this is going to be at least tens of millions of dollars, so this $2 million is just like the... Yeah, it's a drop in the bucket. Yeah. You know, it's nothing to really... And so we just want this story truly to start with the people. You know, like, like I would rather say, oh, yeah, we started with the public and then went and found investors versus the way every building ever has been built, they found investors in a bank and you know got a loan. I'd rather say 2,500 people around the world decided to, yeah. to join the story. So are you allowed to tell us, are there investors standing in line waiting? There are, yeah. Awesome. Yeah, we have lots are, of investors wanting to be involved. Does that eliminate the fear of like, Kickstarter is all or nothing? It's like if you raise $1.8 million, but you don't hit that $2 million mark, it fails. Like I'm, I'm surprised mm -hmm. by how much of the public still doesn't understand that about Kickstarter. Yeah. Like everyone's like, awesome. At least he's got four hundred thousand dollars right now. Nope. It's like you get none of that unless you reach the entire you two get million dollar zero dollars. Yeah. So is that is there like this? Oh well, I can still sleep at night and I'm not living in fear and stressed out because, you know, I've got investors lined up. Or is this more of the, I'm an artist an artist. We, we constantly battle these like inner demons and identity oh, issues man. where like, I don't want to be known as the guy that had the audacity to dream big and then publicly fell on my face. Do you have those feelings? Oh, oh my gosh. Yesterday was actually probably the hardest day of me being in, in panic and doubt. And then there are other days where I'm like, you know what? I'm going to, I'm going to openly embrace the failure. Like mm -hmm. if, if I go down as, as hoping too much in the public, if like, that's my big failure is that I, I thought the public would respond and hoped too much in people, then that's okay. That's not a bad, that's not a bad uh, problem to have. So, um, and yeah, so I'm, I'm, it's just part of the ongoing story. What you digs know? you out of those ruts, those moments where you're just like, ah, oh, this sucks. It's all gonna, it's all gonna fail. What, how, what, what's the little mental switch that flips? Um, Yesterday, I, I had a conversation with my friend Kate Gazaway, who I know you all know, she's a photographer, and she was talking about how it's such a great analogy that I can't quit thinking about, but she was, um, you know, obviously outside of my faith, if we're talking to, to just the, the general world, she was talking about how hope is like balloons, like all our little projects and things we're excited about are mm -hmm. balloons that we're carrying around. And she said, but right now, when you get into the thick of things, those balloons turn into anchors and they're dragging you down and eventually if you have enough anchors there aren't enough balloons to keep you afloat like the anchors are pulling you down and mm -hmm. uh, 
I was just so fascinated by that visual because yesterday all the balloons felt like anchors. They mm-hmm. just felt like there's so much to do. There's so much pulling me down. How are we ever going to get there? But the reality is there's hundreds more balloons right now than there are anchors. And, uh, um, and so, uh, yeah, I'm, I mean, I, to see the world respond, to, to know that this is happening no matter what. We have investors banging down our doors. We have even the hotel industry banging down our doors. Like major hotel brands want to partner with us and help us. And like everybody wants this thing to happen. So, um, yeah, there's no reason I should be down but i am an artist and are are we're very very sensitive so there is some yesterday was probably the hardest day of the whole journey so far hmm. yeah you uh i think you're inspiring a lot of people man and it's i mean i've been reliving a seth godin blog post in my head a lot lately where he says to to earn our attention there needs to be tension and he was kind of talking about this idea of like like telegrams you just pay by the word, say what you need to say, there it is. But stories are so different. Stories work because of that unknown middle. Like mm-hmm. that, he called it the tension of possibility, mm-hmm. the tension mm-hmm. of maybe, like, is it going to work? It might, it might not. And I think you have the world's attention right now. And even if they've yet to jump in and be a part of this thing, which they absolutely need to be, um, they're watching and they're, you're inspiring them and they're going, gosh, this guy's crazy. <laughs> uh, but that's why we want to be a part of this thing, mm-hmm. you know? Uh, so man, we love what you're doing that story. Um, we love how you're taking something that's been around forever and you feel like it need to be reimagined. Mm-hmm. You know, that's our, that's why I wanted to sit down with you today is that's our, that's really the heart of what story 2016 is all about. It was inspired by this Disney quote I read where he said, that's what we storytellers do. Mm-hmm. And when, when Walt, someone like Walt Disney leads with a statement that defining, that's what we storytellers do. I'm like, okay, what is it? What do storytellers do? And he said, storytellers restore order with imagination Hmm. and instill hope again and again and again. And it made me start looking at people throughout history that, you know, we don't often view as storytellers. We might view them as activists or humanitarians or public speakers, but really what they were doing is telling a story. They were, they were casting this vision. They're like, I, I, I have this thing. It's in my imagination. Like purpose hotel doesn't exist yet. You imagined it. Mm -hmm. And now you're telling the story so that other people can imagine it with you Mm -hmm. and with their help that imagination is going to become reality mm-hmm. and that that's what storytellers do. And that's why so I think good. whether you're a photographer or call yourself an entrepreneur or you're a real estate mogul in the future, <laughs> whatever people <laughs> refer to you as in my mind, you're a storyteller and mm-hmm. I think your story is beautiful and what makes your story work is that tension of possibility. The fact mm-hmm. that you're willing to risk and go, there's potential conflict here and we don't know how it's going to turn out, but yeah. that's why it's inspiring all of us. That's awesome. I need, need to hear that. Thank you. Yeah, man. Yeah. And it's so inspiring to us. Uh, in closing, is there anything that you can tell us about uh, what you're doing along that theme this year? Oh man. The story it's coming up. We're uh, less, we're like six weeks away from the conference and yeah. there's a lot of people are like, Oh, is he, is he doing the I impossible thing? And I'm like, no, this is totally different. He did that for a few years. I felt like you probably did too. Every conference in the world, I bet. Right. Mm-hmm. And you've got this new thing. This new thing. Yeah. You, I, you asked me, I literally like, I don't know how many times said yes and no to this conference. <laughs> I, I think probably, it, I probably <laughs> should preface this by saying I called you with this. I'm like, Hey, so I have this idea and I think it could totally bomb. And I'm, I'm, I want your opinion on, do you think this is something that artists would be willing to try? And your response was, so I've been, I've been wanting to try that for quite a while and I've never had the, the willingness and the courage to get up and do it. Yeah. And somehow I, we talked you into giving it a shot. 
So it, I know it's hard to describe, right? Mm. Uh, yeah, I, I, I can just say that it'll be an attempt at a live performance of sorts, a creative live performance that will heavily involve the crowd that is a extreme risk. I mean, I've been a public speaker now for years, and I don't get... <laughs> I don't get nervous anymore, but this one is truly a nerve-wracking experiment, and uh, it's either going to be amazing and and beautiful, or it's going to be a disaster, <laughs> truly. And uh, and so, yeah, I mean, I'll be I'll be walking in faith once again, right in front of the crowd. It yeah. seems like uh, it seems like your life story. <laughs> that's what you do a lot of. Yeah, yeah, we love that. But we can't wait. In the meantime. Uh, what do we do? How do we find out and follow the Purpose Hotel journey? Yeah, just uh, thepurposehotel.com, uh, at the Purpose Hotel on all networks, and uh, at Jeremy Cowart. Um, I think that's it. Just spread the word. If you could ask the creative community uh, of storytellers to do one thing in addition to donate and back the campaign, mm. what would what would you ask them to do? ask them to creatively tell their audiences why they believe this idea needs to happen like what what can you do that's a different way of explaining it whether that's an instagram story snapchat facebook live whatever it is just you know it's one thing to just retweet me but that doesn't really in my opinion that doesn't really help like you have to convince your audience why you actually think this is a smart idea and why it needs to come to come to life yeah well, thank you, man. Between whether it's through Help Portrait or the way you inspire us through the apps you create or just your art or what you're doing now with Purpose Hotel, thanks for inspiring us. Of course. The story community loves you. Thanks for having me. Yeah. Absolutely. So good. Such a good interview. Yeah. How do we top this? How do we do episode two at this point? Uh, I know uh, we can. We can do. We have some other good stuff. Yes, in we the have works. Yeah. some amazing stuff uh, prepared and planned for you guys. Uh, what was the highlight of that interview for you? I love that Jeremy shared about his failures. That sounds really like sad, but it's really almost encouraging to me that I'm it totally took Jeremy it. a while to figure out like who he was. He like. It took until he was 28, he said, until he realized he was a photographer and he started getting gigs and all this stuff started happening. And, um, yeah, as, like, a young person who's trying to find their way in the creative community, that was really encouraging for me. It's like, oh, okay, I'm not behind. I'm, like, not – I'm still doing my part by moving forward. That's interesting. But, yeah. uh, tell tell our listeners how old you are. Oh, I'm, I'm 23. You're 23. So <laughs> yeah, how does that feel as a 23-year-old listening to – someone say they didn't figure it out until they were 28 it's scary and encouraging all in the same package yeah well what's interesting most to me now uh it was like towards the end of the end of the interview where remember we were sitting down we were setting up and like josh is getting all the gear set up and um he was like i'm actually really bored by photography right now yeah and i was like i made a little mental note of that because i wanted to ask him that in the middle of the interview about that uh, i didn't know if he would be okay talking about that publicly sure um but he totally was and I, that is super fascinating to me it's like what took you so long to figure out that very thing is now boring you but mm-hmm. yet he's giving himself permission to go maybe i'm not supposed to be a photographer for the next season of my life totally and i i think if we were to ask him like go back and ask him like did he regret being a photographer no i don't think that yeah. i think he has a really healthy view of that 
it takes a while like to find your way and all these things that come along with because he was interested in drawing for a long time he was interested mm-hmm. in photography now he's like wanting to build a hotel and partner with nonprofits. like all those were really important parts of his story yeah. and he wouldn't be where he is now without those different skill sets yeah you look at those parts of his story and you go oh all those parts of your story were literally shaping you to and preparing you to do this giant yeah. thing called the purpose hotel yeah. Um, and I bet if we were to ask him at the age of 28, if we could like travel back in time, be like, okay, cool. You want to be a photographer? Is that what you're going to do for the rest of your life? He, he might've said like, yeah, I'm so glad I finally figured it out. Totally. You He's know? like, this is it, man. Someday you're going to build <laughs> hotels. He'd be like, yeah, right. Right. Yeah. Like I'm not going to build hotels. Well, obviously it goes without saying like everyone needs to go to the purpose hotel. It was the purpose Mm-hmm. back the Kickstarter project is is it was fun to hear his transparency you can sense his like yeah the the tension of this might work it might not work like we'll find out I guess yeah it all depends on us like literally the community backing him so yeah, yeah. yeah. so go to purposehotel.com the purposehotel.com uh, and that's going to forward to the Kickstarter campaign there's probably only a few days left by the time this podcast goes live uh, and be a part of backing that project uh, while you're on the internet, after you back the project, check out storygathering.com. Um, I can't believe we're just, gosh, we're weeks now. We're just a little over a month away ah. from Story 2016. It's a crazy season. That's interesting, too, because I also related to Jeremy's story because my background is in magic. I was mm-hmm. an illusionist. Uh, when I got a magic kit for Christmas from my grandmother when I was nine, within a couple of years, I was like, this is what I'm going to do for the rest of my life. Yeah. And here I am in my mid-30s going, Oh, I guess I'll direct a conference. Like, and it's not that I've stopped performing and touring and speaking myself. It's just now I have this whole new thing. It's certainly not trying to build a hotel, but like trying to build this tribe and this community of storytellers and creators is really exciting and something I never imagined that I would be doing. And so, yeah, gosh, I love that interview. So we're excited here, Jeremy. If you want to hear from more speakers like Jeremy Cower, just go to storygathering.com. I'll be there. Sammy will be there. Jeremy will be there. And a whole list of really amazing speakers so check out the lineup on the website and we'll see you guys next week on the story podcast and again at the end of september in person in nashville tennessee have a great week